Hello. Hey, John. Hey, it's Dan Benjamin. What's up, John Roderick? It's Radio's Dan Benjamin. How are you? Um, I am, well, I'm very well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, well, I arrived at the at my office today and there was a box waiting <laughs> outside the door. More dolls? A box with my name on it. Well, I haven't opened it yet. I thought I would open it on the program. Oh, wow. Yes, please do. And so many people emailed me uh, to ask if you could finish talking about the dolls. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I, a, I've made no promises. <laughs> There's a lot of curiosity about the dolls. A lot. Um, you know, I realized uh, that there are a lot of people that make stuff and they don't know what to do with it. They take it down to the farmer's market and they can't really sell it. <laughs> uh, uh, or maybe they can, but they're, you know, they only sell a couple at a time and it's very, but they have an impulse, right? To, to make things. And so I want to provide people a place where they can test their things out in the real world. And so by all means, if you are making something and you want to send it to me, you absolutely can. And I will, if it's a hat, I'll wear it. If it's a wallet, I'll put it in my pocket. You know, look, I will, I will do real world testing for your art crap. You're like one of the weather people who anything you send them in, they'll use it as a pointer <laughs> to point at the different. Yeah, not anything. I mean, the first, first time somebody proposed that, the first thing they received in the mail was a dildo. Right. You know, you know that that's, no, yeah, that's they get one of those every week. But yeah. Anyway, my office address is it's uh, eight one five Seattle Boulevard, uh, up uh, office number three three two Seattle Washington nine eight one three four. Send me whatever you want. Nice, <laughs> yeah. Send me Polaroids. I don't care. Is there uh, something like- specific that you would like to get though? And by the way, I will I will put your address into our show notes, which are going to be at five by five tv slash roadwork slash twelve. So if you didn't catch John saying that just now, I did, and I'll put it in there. It'll be there. Yeah. Anything specific you're looking for? Anything you well, want? Well, yeah, of course. What I are mean, you on the lookout for? After having seen No Country for Old Men, what I'm really looking for is a, uh, <laughs> a duffel bag full of cash, preferably euros. All right. That uh, was the product of a drug deal gone wrong. Right. So, I thought so you what? were going to say you wanted that pneumatic cow... Uh, no thing. Uh, I don't. The, you're going to worry me for a second. Cow euthanizer. Yeah, right. No, I'm not. I'm not in the market uh, uh, to be like killing people one at a time. <laughs> no, it got to be all at once, right? You know what I mean? Like yeah. people are doing a good job of killing themselves en masse, uh-huh. and the, the 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 prospect of like trying to earn a dollar by going around and you know uh, whacking people yeah. that doesn't appeal to me. Uh, but you know, finding a bag of money in the desert does, as you probably know, I'm interested in all of your grandfather's and grandmother's old things, whatever they are, um, uh, particularly their old, uh, Bausch and Loam glasses, <laughs> right? If they have any, if there's any old glasses lying around, right. I'm interested in those. You won't even bother to change out the prescription. You just run with it. Well, you know, I do have a, I do have a, a, a collection of glasses that have different people's prescriptions in them. I don't wear them, but I'm. I like to look at them. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What else? I'm a 44 long in the suit department. So if your grand granddad's got an old suit or a whole closet full of suits, 18 inch neck, I'll be, I'll be happy to go through those and see which ones are cool. Uh, you know, but all that stuff, maps, old maps, old weird books with maps in them. Don't just start sending books are expensive to mail. 
You but, can do you know, media, you know about media mail though. Yeah, 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 right. But that's like slow boat, slow boat mail. Yes, it's very. But you're not in a rush. You got time. No, that's right. I mean, it'll just be a surprise to me, like this box was that showed up on my porch today. I don't know what's going to be in it. Oh, and the other thing is, if you send me an email that says like I'm going to send you something, I have forgotten about it before I even push send on the reply. The reply is always going to be great. Is there anything then, that you don't want? I mean, I will consider anything, right? If I open a box, there's almost nothing in it. I mean, like baby chicks, uh, night crawlers. I will, I will consider them. Right. I mean, it's, I'm not making any promises that I'll keep them and incorporate them into my life, but, but I will. I'll definitely give it a good, a good once over. And in particularly, if you want some feedback on it, mm-hmm. I can generally provide that. But so. This box, it's about a shoebox size. It says Shivaz on it. C-H-I-V-A-Z. Uh-huh. And their logo is a an, an Ibex or a mountain goat. I think it's a mountain goat, but he has sort of Ibexian qualities. Okay. He's got a long, almost Egyptian beard. You know the way the Egyptians had those oh, false yeah. beards. Yeah, yeah. This, uh, this mountain goat also has a false beard. The logo then is in silhouette on the side. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, no, no, it's a sticker. Uh, what else can I tell you before I've opened the box? Um, what is it taped up with? It just has, it's a white box and it's taped up with, with clear tape. Okay. Uh, Shavaz is from a town called Redmond, Oregon. So it's an Oregonian thing, but it does not smell like weed. Hmm. It's two. Let's see. Okay. So when was here it postmarked? we go. When was it postmarked? Oh, let's see. Good question. Good question. October 30th. So not that long not ago. Long. All right. So here we go. Is it heavy? It's not. It's not heavy. I'm curious about it. What are you using to open it? Uh, let's see. I have a pair of giant shears <laughs> that I've. Of course. Somehow I got at <laughs> Ikea at some point. They're enormous. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Is it a two-handed operation or a one-handed? Two-handed operation. But you know, with shears, of course, I always like flip them open and then they become two... Two knives. Two two knives. Yeah. One of which you kind of have to use as a handle, which is not the... But, you know, I I, I open a lot of things. (laughs) Right. Shears. Do you worry that someone has sent you anthrax or something and you should be ready to evacuate in a hurry if there's a powder or something in there? You know, I feel like if I were if I were well known, like uh, on the scale of somebody like uh, Andy Richter, yeah, say, right, somebody who's out there in the public eye, and there are, you know, attracting crazies. Yeah, yeah, I might be a little bit more cautious, but the crazies that I'm attracting are crazies just like you and me. Okay, right, and and those crazies don't they're not they don't have time to if they had. Like real anthrax, they would waste it on right. me. Right. Right. They've got, they're doing something with that anthrax. We attract a lot of scientists, and I would not be the royal all- we or you, you and I. Well, I mean, I think you and I, but like when I say we, I mean kind of our culture, oh. you, me, you know, the, our, our little gang yeah. of, of uh, entertainment makers. We, we have a lot of science listeners, and yeah. I have no doubt 
in my mind that they could concoct a lethal formula at the drop of a hat. Right. But they're busy, you know, discovering uh, new kinds of penicillin or whatever they're, they're doing. They don't, they're not trying to kill. No, they're trying to save lives. That's right. Uh, and so what some kook is going to send me something, you know, uh, the worst I, th- I think I'm going to get is like a bouquet of dead flowers from some angry girl, <laughs> but I get those all the time. Right. That's just, that's just Tuesday for you. It just goes in the compost with the other angry, angry bouquet flowers. <laughs> um, you know, if, and, and if something, if there's something dead in the box, I'll be able to smell that. I'm not going to open it. Don't send me anything dead. Unless it's like a skeleton of some kind of roadkill that you bleached and assembled. <laughs> like if it's a if it's a beaver skeleton that right. you've assembled, meticulously assembled and packed carefully, yes. Do you I have any think. guesses or predictions of what's in here just by the weight and the feel of the box? Like a, like I mean, I would say that it was some kind of clothing, but it's, when you shake it, it kind of sounds like a jigsaw puzzle. Yeah. But... It's got to be clothing, right? Some kind of item, a clothing item. I mean, most of the people who are crafting things are either making stuff out of wood uh-huh. or out of leather and fabric, right? Very few. I mean, the people that are making stuff out of metal, are they mailing stuff to podcasters? It seems like they would be mailing stuff to different... They'd be ma- mailing stuff to Slayer. Are you hoping that this is like a vintage item or something mm-hmm. new? I don't think it's a vintage item. I do think it's probably something new. I imagine Shavaz is a. Um, is it sounds like a liquor? Like, oh, would you like does. some sh- after dinner? Do uh, you want some Shavaz? I've got a new it bottle. Does. It sounds like a Belgian beer. <laughs> yeah, like Chimay. I think that's what yeah. I'm thinking of. Yeah, Chimay. Yeah. And uh, and and actually, <laughs> the the logo of the of the goat is very much like the logo of a Belgian beer. Oh, maybe it's beer. <laughs> well, I don't think it's beer. <laughs> All right, are we ready for the great idea? Yes, yes. If we had a drum roll, I would would cue it up. All right, all right. Here we go. Opening the box. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Holy cats. What is it? It is. Now I remember this email conversation. (laughs) First of all, they sent some stickers, which was very thoughtful. If if your thing has stickers, send it. And then uh, a very nicely written letter. Curiously, the letter is written on an envelope. But the envelope isn't sealed and there's nothing in it. So it's just like they didn't have any paper, so they used an envelope of paper. Right. But their but their handwriting is small and meticulous. And then it's a box full of cool socks. Oh wow. Shavaz is a sock making company, and there are one, two, three, four, five. There's like there is oh, I am so into these socks. <laughs> this, you know, this seems like it was planned, but these are very tall socks, like uh, dress they, socks or socks with patterns. Or no, they seem like um, they seem like cool, sort of athletic-y socks, like soccer socks. Oh, right. But they have they have funky patterns on them. I and mean, this is the kind of sock I wear, which is to say, like big, chunky socks. And they have like stuff on them, like like um, designs. I mean, they're 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 fancy socks, but yeah. they're not they're not like Jesse Thorne. Not silly, that kind of not like silly socks. Not like dandy socks. No, 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 no. These aren't dandy socks. These are like <laughs> snowboard socks. These are socks that you could wear if you were going to go do some something rad. Yeah, 
oh, I'm very into these socks. All right. So see, that's an example. Somebody had, uh, somebody had a sock making company and they said, can we send you some socks? And I said, absolutely. And then I forgot about the conversation. And then I was surprised and delighted to receive a box of socks. That's awesome. A box of socks. And the first sentence of the of the uh, letter is, it is a great honor to send you these Shavaz. <laughs> so the company and the owner of the company have decided that Shavaz are now the proper name for the socks. They're not, he doesn't say it's a great honor to send you these Shavaz socks. It's just that these Shavaz. It's a great honor to send you these Shavaz. So I think what that, the expectation is that when people say, whoa, nice socks, I'm going to say, <clears throat> They're actually Shavaz. And the person will say, you mean that's the brand? And I would say, no, no, no. They're not socks. They're Shavaz. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. We'll yes. see if I can remember to do that. Well, before we jump into our main topic. Huh. We've been giving free advertising. <laughs> but, you know, that's one of the things you get if you send me stuff uh, and it shows up at my office. That's right. Well, we, I actually have a little bit of follow-up to... A, a lot of people have tweeted to mainly to me, but also yeah, I think they see me as your, your handler, mm -hmm. my interlocutor right. <laughs> interlocutor. Right. And, uh, and so it's sort of like to John care of Dan, uh, <laughs> please see that this message gets to John. If you find it appropriate. <laughs> uh, and, and the, the tweets or emails usually complain about the ending of the show and in the begin in the first few episodes i think we had the intro music which is a unreleased uh long winter song right yeah one that i still that i still occasionally pull out and say i'm gonna i am gonna finish this song. so good and, yeah uh but right now the only place to hear it is at the beginning of, our, of this show which is <laughs> that's right i like it it's like exclusive you know <laughs> so I, you know when i wrote it it was in an alternate <laughs> tuning so it's like one of those during my alternate tuning days yeah what to yeah. how is it tuned well you know some fancy tuning i don't remember you don't even want to say i don't blame you so i'm not like david crosby who's like here's all my alternate tunings <laughs> right it's like a secret yeah screw you <laughs> not you no i I, like hear, anybody I know what you so okay, at, the, so, uh, at the, the end of the show the first few episodes i think we had the music uh sort of fade in and then fade out. And then we got, I, then I think one of the episodes, it faded in a little too early and we got lots of emails, people complaining that they couldn't hear the end of the show because the music was fading out for too long over, over them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So then I, then we finished an episode, the next episode and the way you ended it, it just, it left this pregnant pause at the end of the show. And it was just like, you had said something profound and, and, I said, you know what? Let's not do any music this time. First of all, that'll shut up all the people complaining about it. But second of all, just the way you leave it, it's this kinetic energy and the weight in the room are just hanging there. Do, do you recall that I you said that to me or did you just say I that said to it yourself? Aloud. I said it aloud. And, but after I was gone. Yeah. Yeah, right. So you said it aloud in the room where you were alone yeah. and I was already in my car going somewhere. Else. Yeah. Yeah, right. Good. And... Uh, I didn't think you would mind. I thought you no, would. No, 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 no. 
Okay, so it, we went at it like that, and I listened back to it, and I thought that it worked. It really worked. But the problem, and so we did a few more episodes, and then we started to get these emails and tweets from people who are saying it ends abruptly, and then the next podcast starts, and it's one of these, welcome to the Tech News Show. Oh, We're going to oh, tell oh, you about oh, the latest in, you ooh, know, whatever, and it's a super loud, uh, you know, person who's talking about, you know, some new Apple thing and they don't, and it's too jarring. Well, first of all, a lot of our listeners should stop listening to those tech podcasts. Well, it's true. I totally agree with you. But I see their point that it's one of these problems where iTunes or whatever, the modern, the modern world doesn't allow for pregnant pause. Yes, because, because, well, because so many people are using the podcast apps that will strip out silence to because they're listening to the show at one and a half or two times speed anyway. And then there's, there are these features of the apps that remove any kind of silence between things uh, that people say to one another. So all of the like comedic pacing is taken away. All of the, the suspense that one builds when telling a story, that's all stripped out and removed for the more efficient delivery of, (laughs) you know, Uh of information and data. Right, because when people listen, data. Yeah, they want to de- get data from us. That's why they're listening. They don't realize, Dan, that you and I are are uh, are constructing an epic poem like the Iliad, <laughs> yes, which can only be understood through telling and retelling around campfires. Yeah, and the pauses and the the, the slowness of it. Right during during the part where we are where we are on the wine dark sea. Yeah. Assailing Troy, right? Uh, they're missing out. It's not data. It's not data. It's song. Wow. Let a long pregnant pause go there. Yeah, let their, really. Let their, let their scrobblers <laughs> scrobble it. <laughs> you know, but it's it's like Luke gets in the land speeder and uh, and someone stands up. How's it end? How's it end? Just tell me how it ends. No, you. I want to be taken through the journey. Give me three films. Give me three more. You know, it's uh, wait a minute. Don't give me three more. Give well. me three films, and then stop. <laughs> the new ones, the J.J. Abrams three more is the one I meant. Oh, I see what you're saying. So, uh, you know, leaving that little pause there, I think people are not hearing the pause, and so the, I did get one email from someone who was very nice who said how much they loved it and how they were just left suspended with the flavor of the show still swirling in their brain and 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 then uh, the hundred other people said it ended too abruptly so wow so what's your solution I, do, I have no solution and i would like to hear if you've come up with one of course we could play the music again as we did yeah that's a nice one so that's the um, obvious choice <clears throat> uh you could pick another point in the song that i sent you so it's not the same music as the beginning it's yeah. like a reprise right um my, for people that are that that don't like pregnant pauses, I would just suggest that you you find the <laughs> sound, like find the original incarnation of that, and just put that at the end with like a <laughs> like a like a a nineteen forties car sounding its uh, little air powered horn or something. Yeah, a little like a twenties car. Twenties like, car, go, right? Let's go all the way back. All right, like a Model T. <clears throat> And that will give them, that will be a very clear indication, the show is done. And then it'll be, and then, hey, 
hey, you're listening to World Tech Podcast. And it'll be just like perfect. It will make everything that they listen to after it sound idiotic. Right. And it may, especially if you're telling a story that's like meaningful or something like that, if we don't end on like a humorous note, but if it's like, right. you know. And then she died in, in the quicksand. <laughs> Yeah, right? No, I think that's it. I think we yeah. that's our solution for Yeah, let the haters like have the world that they want. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we don't like pregnant pauses, it's too abrupt. So what you know that works for me. Let's try it out. Let's try it. Let's see how it goes for a few episodes. I mean you could just fully take just grab the NPR like whatever those NPR sounds, NPR musics that go, the interstitial music that they use. Yeah. That's all like bing, blong, blong, or whatever, like like weird music that would be playing in an airport that actually turned out to be an extermination camp. Oh, God. Like, I'm in a, this airport's really clean. And then it's just like, here's the gate. Come on into the gate. You're oh, like, God. I'm on my way on a trip. Wow, this, <laughs> this jetway is really long. Oh, God. It's like, oh no, it's getting hot. That's always present in your mind, though. That. Oh, fuck yes. <laughs> every time so I go like into every, an airport, everything like, comes back to that for you. Yeah. It should for me, and it doesn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But That's, you know, you're more in some ways affected than I am by it in an ongoing way. You know, the thing about the cows when the cows go in and they get <laughs> uh, they get no country for last men. <laughs> Right, the cow. Did you just not- see that movie? Is this recent? No, 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 no. It's just in my. It's burned <laughs> into my head. Yes. Because when that movie came out, I was like, "Oh yeah, go see that movie, whatever." And then I'm sitting in the theater, and then they are playing out exactly the scenario that I had fantasized about a hundred thousand times. <laughs> I knew that drug deals went wrong in the desert. I knew that sometimes there were gunfights where everyone died, and the money and the drugs were left sitting there next to the cars. I knew that that happened. I had been thinking about it for decades. And then here it was. Someone had taken my dream and put it on the big screen. And I was like, damn it. First of all, why didn't, why don't I write screenplays? But second of all, arg! now everybody's going to be looking for that. Right. Now everybody out in the desert. And when they see a bunch of uh, jacked up Ford Rancheros or whatever, F two fifties, they're going to be like, Shit, maybe that's a drug deal gone wrong. That'll be the first thing people think of now. Yeah, exactly. But uh, but so when a cow goes in there to get uh, to get no countryed, uh, they they don't. It's not like it's not that like there's a big sign over that first shoot that says like today's your last day. They go they go into shoots all the time. They go into shoots to get to get food. So it's like hey, I'm going into a shoot again. Maybe I'll get some food. Right. And then it's like, well, this shoot's a little different. And then it's like, hmm. Those cows up ahead of me are making a weird sound. And then it's like, oh, shit. Yeah. But well, it's too, too late. late. Yeah, You're too in late. the shoot. And the thing is, that's how they're going to do it to us. It's going to be like, I'm going to Washington, D.C. On a, on, a, on a 737. It's like, oh, this is a different configuration. Oh, it's like no. that Twilight Zone uh, to serve man. Have you seen that one? Uh, I've seen all the Twilight Zones. That's but I the don't one remember where them by title. The, the aliens... I mean, this is going to be a spoiler for people who haven't seen this episode, but it's it's called To Serve Man, and I believe it was a short story before that that I oh, probably... Oh, it's like some Harlan Ellison tale. Yeah, exactly. And the 
the aliens land on Earth and they're like, listen, we're ending all war. We're, you know, we're feeding all, everyone in the whole world will now have food and be taken care of. There's nothing to worry about anymore. We fixed everything. Right. And they're going to, they're going to eat us. And in fact, yes. And in fact, we're, we would like to take you to our world where everything is a perfect utopia and you <laughs> will li- live uh, forever in happiness. And so meanwhile, uh, they have discovered this book. I don't know how, of course, the aliens have like a regular old book, right? They don't even yeah, have Kindles, book. but they have like books laying around. And somehow one of the people, uh, I think she's figuring out trying to decipher their language by reading the book. And then they determine that the cover of the book is uh, the title of the book rather is to serve man. And they're like, what? they've got a whole book about like helping out people like this is they're flying around. Just they exist to help us out. What? How sweet. And then at the very last part, when the, uh, the hero of the story is boarding this spaceship to go to utopia, the the woman, or I, maybe I'm remembering the details wrong, but she runs out and someone says, "It's it's a cookbook. It's a, it's a cookbook. It's a cookbook. Oh, no. Very well parodied in a, in an episode <laughs> of The Simpsons and elsewhere. But so then uh, then you realize, of course, they're they're going to all this length just to eat us. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know <laughs> yes. that makes that makes that makes pretty good sense, right? I mean, um, we are. I don't. I don't imagine that we taste very good. Uh, but well, the people like I, the Midwestern people, I think, would be pretty tender, right? Because they eat that Jello salad out yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, have you ever read The Sparrow by Mary uh, Doria Russell? I have not. The book The Sparrow. Um, it is a. It is a. Um, it's a. I think a good book and a science fiction book. And it was uh, it covers not not exactly it's it, it's an overlapping theme, uh, so I would highly recommend it to uh, to the readers out there who who like to read things. <laughs> the Sparrow <clears throat> by Mary Doria Russell. I'll put it. I'll put it in the show notes. We're gonna have some I good show notes this week. I don't usually do book recommendations. I get a lot of emails about that. Would you recommend? Some books. Would you recommend a shelf of books for me? They say this happens a lot, and I want to, but I also think back on my own experience, how I discovered my shelf of books, and it was a process. I never went to somebody and said, "Give me a shelf of books." Right? I what I did was I took every book that I could, and now it's harder. I think because there's infinite books. Right. So any young person who wants to read has to find some way to sort. It's like, oh, there's infinite books. What, how do I know where to start? And when I was 20, there weren't infinite books. There was like eight. Well, or it was just like you, if you wanted to read a book, you had to get a book. First of all, you had to get your hands on a book. I, um, like, I remember going into a bookstore with a girl I was dating and, um, Frederick Exley's A Fan's Notes had just come out. And I was re I, I, I had read about it and um and I so I was I picked up the book and I'm reading the dust jacket and I'm <clears throat> I'm sort of turning turning it over in my hands and I'm like, 
oh, this is <clears throat> this is like a this is wonderful. I want this, but I can't afford it. Right. Like I cannot afford to buy a new book uh, because at the time they were like eleven dollars or something. I was like eleven dollars. I can't do it. And I was and I was like kind of a little bit like upset, you know, like, ah, what do I have to do to be able to get this book? I cannot think of a way short of shoplifting it, which was against my principles. Mm -hmm. And so because, wait, because shoplifting is against your principles or because stealing the stealing of literature. I think if you're going to steal anything, stealing literature is probably the best thing, (laughs) but no stealing (laughs) Stealing is against my principles and always was. And, and that's and, and that's not to say that, you know, a lot one of the main themes of your and my podcast has been how do you keep two contradictory ideas in your head at the same time? Yes. We talk about that a lot. Yep. And it's a thing that doesn't get talked about in the world very much, but it's crucial, I think, to being a good person, being able to keep contradictory ideas in your head. It's not like I've never stolen anything. And I understand the logic of stealing all kinds of things, but I personally try not to steal. Right. So I'm. I'm so anyway, I'm turning this book around. A couple of days later, uh, my girlfriend hands me this nicely wrapped package, and I open it, and it's a fan's notes. And inside, she's written on the title page, you know, no one should have to go without a book they want. And I was like, <clears throat> what a fantastic what a fantastic utopian idea, but sadly all the time people go without books they want, but thank you, my darling. And it turned out to be at the time, one of my favorite books. Um, and still, you know, still a good book. But anyway, so I, back when I was 20, you just, you read what you got. Right. And I was lucky enough to be around people and, and they knew that I wanted their cast off books. So they would read a book and they'd be like, here, I'm done. Right. Here, here you go. And they would pitch me these things. And so, if you know enough people, you get the books, you get books from people that are very different from each other. And so <clears throat> you got people reading the classics, you got people reading contemporary fiction, you got people reading sci-fi and fantasy, you got people, uh, you know, and you're not just, you're not stuck with one reading list. So when people ask me for a reading list, I'm always like, ah, I feel, I feel that that's a bad plan because then you're just reading somebody else's you know, you should you should take twenty five reading lists and shuffle them, and and never read just along somebody else's path. But I think know. you read at, right now. I think you read more than anybody else that I know from what we've talked about on and off the show. It seems like you're always reading, and I don't mean reading the way that a lot of us read these days. Like I'm going to go read the new uh, jQuery J- API, you know. But like you're sitting down reading a work of fiction or a historical thing or, you know, especially yeah, like late at night in the traditional way to read, like you're reclining and recumbent and reading a book, perhaps even by there's a candle or firelight going <laughs> an oil lamp. Yeah. I mean, it's a habit uh, that you, you have to get into, but, but also my phone has ruined life for me because, because the act of reading is the same. Uh, in the sense that I'm taking in information through my eyes and imagination, but now I am staring at my phone and I'm reading some, the phone has made it much easier to read book reviews and much easier to read that kind of uh, 
you know, the cloud of writing that attends culture, people writing about other people writing about things, you know, like criticism, essays. And I like all that stuff too, but that used to be hard to get a hold of too. Like who's, you'd have to buy the Times literary supplement. I mean, that's like a lot of work. (laughs) And and now it's just everywhere. You turn on your phone and it's just like blorp, blorp, blorp. And the New York Times, if you follow their Twitter account, they're just all day long like content, content, content. And even if you only read one out of 10 things, you're still just like all day long, this pressure. And then when you want to sit down and read your good old fashioned 900 page book about the Holocaust right? or, or, a novel that your friend just wrote and has published or somebody's autobiography. It's just, it's in competition with this, with this phone. Oh, it's just a nightmare, but I don't, but you know, I can't put it down either. So it's obviously not a nightmare. Well, you know, like, have you ever read a, a regular novel style book on your phone or do you have an iPad on your iPad? you know what i don't like it and i don't i do read i don't read a lot of comics anymore uh but there was a time when every week on wednesday i would go in and pick up all the comics and then i kind of transitioned to reading them on an ipad based on a few of my friends who recommend recommended it and said you know this is like this is way better and you can subscribe and then they just download when they come out they just download to you but there's something different i really missed like flipping pages of a comic book and looking at the art. Oh. But I do enjoy the aspect of like being able to really zoom in on the artwork and see this amazing detail. And nowadays like comics are create comic books are very frequently created on computers anyway. So it's not like you're reading it in, in a way that's foreign to the way that it's created. So I kind of got over that hump, but the actual, like actually reading a book on an iPad, there was uh it's just, it seems really, I just don't like it. A Kindle is a little bit better, but <clears> it's funny because even my kid, he's seven and I, I read to him most nights. I read a book to him that I we had got on a Kindle so that we could, when we went on a trip, I could bring it without having to, you know, schlep around a whole bunch of like hardcover books. And when we got back, we were still reading. And he's like, why are you still reading on that? I said, well, we bought it on this. So this is, this is where it is. And he's like, oh, okay. He's like, well, could we read, could we read the next one? Could it be a real book? <laughs> I'm like, well, this is just as real. He's like, right. But I mean, you know what I mean? He's like, I want it to be a real book. Right. Not just as real. Yeah. And when we got a, you know, we got him the, the well, for him and my daughter, who's not old enough yet, but uh, we I wanted to get, Harry Potter books for them and they sell them in the set. So you can get the whole set and it's a hardcover thing. And he just loves it. Like it's a special box that they come in and he like, he loves it. He loves the whole act of like getting the next book out of the box and taking the slip cover and putting it away carefully and like looking at the book. And, you know, as I'm reading it to him at bedtime, he'll like, he'll take it when we get to a new chapter and there's illustration that he'll look at and like, you can do a lot of the same stuff with a Kindle, but like even for him at age seven, like it's a tactile, tangible thing that it's different somehow. Absolutely, absolutely, it is. And and it sounds like you are you are raising that child correctly. <laughs> I mean, that's um, that is the that 
the tactile consumption of a of a handmade thing as opposed to like the the downloading of a thing right why I should mean, that it, matter words are words right no 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 i don't think so just in the sense that i i feel like words are a way words are an imperfect way of communicating the thoughts of one human being to other human beings and a successful book that one human being's thoughts got transmitted to a million people and an unsuccessful book or, a, or just somebody writing you a handwritten letter. It's from one person to another, but it's still that, that connection between one person's mind and imagination and other people. And the more diverse, I'm sorry, the more divorced we are from understanding that that's a product of somebody's mind. Yeah. And what the internet does is it makes it seem like all this content is kind of, I mean, there's a general voice. And when someone writes in a unique voice, it really stands out. And and a lot of a lot of the time the unique voices are the ones that are that are sort of garbling English. You know, mm. those are the ones that stand out and they stand out as jarring. Right. But those times when you're reading something, you're like, oh my goodness, this is a unique narrator. I can't wait to get to know this person and I can't wait to find to go down a road with them. But that stands out from the kind of flat affect writing that most people do anymore. And so I think there's a tendency, even those of us who know that stuff is created by individual people, to just feel like, oh, the internet is talking to me. I am just digest- digesting this data. Uh, data that is coming to me in the form of words. Right. And with a book, it's, it's much more evident that like this is a work that someone this is something someone made and i think kids that come up where everything is available all the time they just subtly have a different sense of authorship right exclusivity in a way and availability they're just just further away from it and it's like oh if i open up my ipad and all of the history of television and all of the movies that were ever made and all of the comic books and all of the stories and everything, it's all here on the iPad. In a way, authorship belongs to Apple. You know, mm. it's like Apple is providing me all these things. This right. device is the portal. And that is one remove from that connection to author that I feel like isn't, it, it changes our, it changes the nature of the relationship. I mean, the only time I've ever tried to read a book on a phone and I, and I hate to, I hate for this story to fall into the category of like, Oh, John learned to play the bass on national television, but I was flying (laughs) into New Mexico with John Hodgman on a small commuter plane from LA, some little propeller, uh, some de Havilland. When was this? couple of years ago and we were going to do a show at george rr R. martin's theater um and hodgman was saying uh you know that we that george was going to be there we were going to be there for for the weekend and we were going to hang out with him and um and then he kind of had the 
he had a little look in his eye and he said, you have read Game of Thrones, have you not? (laughs) And I said, no. He said, you have seen at least the television show Game of Thrones. And I said, no. Like that would, that would not be great, but at least, at least you would have seen that. Yeah, right. Like, and so then he's like, you are going to meet George R. R. Martin and you have no, you've never read anything that he's written. And I was like, I don't know. I think I maybe read something in Playboy in 1990, some short story about, I don't know what. And he was like, Oh my fucking God. <laughs> and so he pulls out his phone and he hands it to me and he says, this is game of Thrones. Read it. Start reading it. Now I am not introducing you to George R. R. Martin. If you have not even read a chapter of this book. And so I was like, Okay. And I sat and read the first couple of chapters of Game of Thrones on a phone, which like was the, I was every, all my hair was standing on end. Uh-huh. Like, I do not want to be doing this. But then the story was, it was, it grabbed me. And so I, then I was, then I forgot I was on a plane and I forgot I was looking at it on a phone and I was in the story, even though it's unclear at first. Like all that talk about the dire wolves right away. It was sort of like, <clears throat> what is this about? But it was still, it was written in, in a, in a, it was written in a good voice and it was, it was an adventure tale and it seemed like, Oh, I'm going to, it's like I'm reading master and commander, except it's set in dungeons and dragons land. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it actually, and he, Hodgman was right. It actually gave me something. I mean, it wasn't like, I was afraid that I was going to meet George R. R. Martin and say, Hey, George, nice to meet you. Big fan. And he would say, Oh yeah. What are you a big fan of? Right. And I'd be like, Oh <laughs> shit. All the great books. Yes. So at least I, at least I could, at least I knew where he was coming from. And then I could, because I love talking about medieval armament. Yeah. Or armament. And, uh, and all that fucking feudal politics. Mm-hmm. I'll talk about that shit all day. And so then we had, I had an entree with him and we could sit and, but, but uh, we didn't, we ended up just talking about Comic-Con a lot more than we did about, about uh, feudal life. Yeah. You know, that's the world we live in. He didn't want to talk about Comic-Con either, but we're at a big table of people. What can you do? It wasn't really a big table. There were four people there, but, Comic-Con, anyway. Um, so, no, I can't, I couldn't sit and read a book on my phone, for the love of God. It doesn't, it doesn't seem right, but I wonder if that, if we are the dinosaurs, if we are the people who are, you know, going the way of people who, when the television came out, they said, no, nobody's going to want to sit in front of a, a box with lights shining at you in the dark. Like no one will ever want to do that. And that's all people want to do. You know, Well, I think that there's always going to be what we, we have thought, we thought for so long that the internet was going to be a giant leveler. And then all of a sudden everybody was going to have access to everything. And it's just the latest iteration of the idea that we are trying to create a civilization of philosopher Kings and if everyone has equal access to education, everyone will avail themselves of education. And the human history is full of this idea, right? The printing press is going to change everything. 
and it may, it widens the circle certainly, but it does not create a nation of philosopher kings. There are always going to be a small minority of people that are interested in really educating themselves, and then most people aren't. And so the technology it does put a lot of bright lights in front of people and as we move into the future yeah it's there's going to be there's going to be a lot of flashing lights but when you think about millennial music consumers they're going and buying vinyl records again right and, and they've got I a think, they've got a hi-fi sitting on their yeah right and it's not just cuz it's cool and hip it's it's again it's part of the filtering like there's too much music and so i'm going to just intentionally limit myself to this archaic format just as a part of trying to put some boundaries around things. Mm -hmm. And I think that's going to be true of printed work too, where it's like they, uh, it may be a small anachronistic group of people, Mm -hmm. but really who the fuck is reading poetry anymore? I mean, people who are writing poetry and reading poetry are by definition anachronistic. Mm Mm-hmm. And have been for 60 years. So there's nothing, we, we, we have a tendency to, to say like, oh, that's just, you're just being precious. And dismiss the impulse as one of, you know, of putting a bird on it. Oh, you're just trying to differentiate yourself by being cute and, and uh, effete. But in fact, it's a, perfectly legitimate way to say there's too much to there's too much to think about and so i'm only going to it's like my like my decision to not buy anything in china or specifically to not buy any suits so i decided this several years ago i was not going to buy any two button suits they all had to be three button suits but Mm -hmm. the third button had to be pressed into the lapel you know, in a style that is described as um, three fold two, hmm. which is a which is a, a an old preppy style where there are three buttons, but you're never meant to button the top button. The lapel is is pressed as though it's a two button suit, but there's a third button and a third buttonhole up the up there, right? In a way that would be completely impractical to button. Yeah, you don't want to button it because the, the lapel is pressed yeah. wrong for that. And what's funny about that is it was a sartorial flourish that was that was absolutely made that way. In the 1950s, it was a kind of preppy uh, like indicator. And over the years, it's come and gone out of style. And the Italian tailors often will, will do that threefold too or three slash two as a way of just saying like, this is, I mean, it's an, it's a, it's an indicator, right? Well, so for the last 10 years, all suits have been two button suits. You can't, at most mass retailers, you can't find a three button suit, right? Because two button suits are the style. And so when I'm sifting through suits, I'm just completely ignoring them. And some of them are great, but that's just, I had to put a filter on. I'm not going to buy 800 suits. I want to. I want them to be specific. And then in the 90s, if you recall, all suits were three button, 
but they were meant to have that top button button. Right. I don't want any of those either. So by putting this, by putting the, this like bracket around what I'm going to look at at thrift stores, I can go into a Goodwill where there are 80 suits and just flip through them like I'm flipping through a card catalog. Just like, <laughs> nope, 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 nope. And then when I see that little flourish, that little sartorial moment, right? and I go, aha, now I will consider this, therefore, this then is either a very old suit or a well-made suit that is, you know, that's sort of pointing at this older style. And that I think is the, it's the same impulse to listen to music on vinyl. It's the same impulse that will eventually and probably pretty soon be like, look, if the book isn't printed, if it, if it didn't warrant being made into an actual book, then that is the, you know, that's the sieve that I'm going to use to say, well, it's not, it doesn't make it into my reading list. Convenience be damned. No, I mean, I, I know from all the stuff that I always have read online and, and things that I have written, most of which I wrote to be put online as articles here and there, other things, there is that sense of like, I mean, like I have an English degree, you know, so I grew up, re- my, my mom was a college English professor, so like the whole concept of books, my aunt, I think she still works there at, at uh, she like runs the library at a university. So like books and reading has always been something that is sort of near and dear to me. And that when I think about it, like there's so many people who self publish and they're all eBooks, you know, like read it, download it, read it on your Kindle, read it on your iPad. Like, I definitely understand totally what you're saying and what my son is saying when he's like, well, it's not a, it's not a real book, but like, of course it's a, you know, he, he would never hear a song that I'm playing from iTunes or on any other app through the car stereo while I drive him to school and say, well, that's not a real song because you're not putting a needle onto a record. He didn't even know what that was. If I showed him like a record player. I think he would think it was amazing. He would think it was really cool. And I think it would look incredibly old fashioned and funny to him that like, that's what you had to do to hear a song. Why you, have you not showed your son a record player? Well, I don't own one. Well, haven't you gone to the record player museum or something? Like <laughs> there probably is one here, but no, I don't think he's ever seen a record player. Oh my goodness! I don't you think to, he, you, you need to correct this. I this would deficit. love to correct it. I would love to correct it. I don't think he's ever seen a record player. I don't think he's ever seen a cassette player. He certainly has not seen an eight track. Well, look, I don't think an eight track is necessary for someone to be educated. I think that an eight the eight track, even though the eight track was the number one format for listening to music when I was a kid, yeah, and I had a gigantic collection of them. My, my dad's collection of eight tracks. Would fill a Chrysler Imperial. Didn't we trade pictures of that strange A track player that's like a red ball? Yeah. Yep. 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 I had one of those. Yeah. You did too, where you changed you changed the channel by by pushing down on the handle. Um. However, eight tracks were a terrible format for listening to music because they cut the song off in the middle. If you recall. Yep. 
but a record player, like your son should, your son should perceive that records, but here uh, that records were, were how music was, was disseminated. But the thing about his situation is you are still the filter for him. He doesn't have to go out into the world and know and, and decide all music, you know? You are there and you're saying like, here are the Beatles. Here are the Long Winters. These two bands, the Beatles and the Long Winters, are more or less comparable. Um, because the Long Winters, although less popular, are just as good. And you and your daddy actually knows the guy from the Long Winters. So that bumps them up in the rankings. And your son can be like, ah, yes, I feel like I understand. And because he's a kid, he's like, I understand everything. That's right. But... You know, he's never heard the Oak Ridge Boys, probably. Uh, probably not. Yeah, and so if you haven't heard the Oak Ridge Boys, you can't really say you know everything. No, he definitely doesn't know everything. But I try, like, music is one of those things that we seem to we seem to be okay with that. Like, we seem to be okay saying, I have a library of 100,000, I don't, but I know people who do, of 50,000 songs or, you know, tons and tons and tons of music that was once on CD that's now all digital that's okay though like we're all right listening to stuff on digital uh but we're not okay necessarily reading stuff on digital and there is something like like real about that and that my kid picks up on that but maybe because his whole life he has seen both books and then now there's this digital book like what are you doing but his whole life it's there's never been a record player there's never been a cassette tape there's like i told him that like music can come on a cd and he he didn't seem to. He's like, yeah. Why though? Why would you do that? I'm like, yeah. That's how we used right. to do it. Why? Why would you do it that way? Well, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have the way that it works now. Why? Well, it yeah, didn't right. exist. No one had thought of it yet, and things weren't fast enough. Oh, that's stupid. You used to get uh, you used to get your internet on the on a CD there. Thanks to AOL, they'd send it to you right in the mail. That's, that's where the internet was, right? Yeah. Wasn't it on a CD at, yeah. at one point? Yeah, yeah. you get it in the you didn't, it was on well, it was on a floppy disk. A floppy disk. <laughs> Before that. <laughs> I I feel like um when when digital recording first came around, you know, the first three Long Winters records were recorded entirely on two inch tape first two records were made on two inch 24 track through a through a quad eight board into a i think they were studer two inch tape machines and then the ultimatum ep was actually made on a two inch 16 track that was owned by tucker martin and i think that might have even been an ampex I don't know what that Six, is. 16th round. Wow, these are just brand names. There, there's a few, uh, there are a few listeners who are like, what an Ampex 16 track two inch. Whoa. <laughs> but it's like, I'm just, I'm just giving them a little bit of a, you know, just throwing them a bone. Yeah. It's probably somebody in London who's like, wow, I didn't know those things were real. <laughs> John Roderick's even touched it. <laughs> um, do you so, think that like, do you, when you, want to listen to music. I mean, I remember being, I don't know how old I was when I, when I, my first record was that that was like a 45. I don't remember what that was, but I mean, I remember growing up with 45s and then we've talked about our first albums. And like when I was 
early teens, I remember you'd go and you'd get an album and like it, you'd take it out in the sleeve. And I imagine it was, you know, there's, I still sort of romanticize this whole process of like, you know, you take the record out and there's all the great, you know, there'd be like lyrics and liner and all of this great like photos of the band and, you know, all their music. And sometimes there'd be like illustrations and stuff in there with the record, you know? And like that, and then I remember like when cassette tapes kind of took over that they would put those notes and stuff in the cassette tape. So you'd pull the cassette tape out and there'd be this little folded up book in there with pictures and notes and things like that. And then, then CDs, they had little books and then eventually it was just a little, little piece of paper in there. And then now CDs are gone. Like I'm not miss saying I miss that, but that was a big part of it. Like the cover of a, of an album wasn't a tiny little thumbnail that would show up in the corner of your screen. It was this big thing that many people would put on their shelf and display. And like they had that album, they had that. And when you would put an album on, you would listen to the, the whole album. A lot of the times it's not just one track because it was too much trouble to like take the album out of the sleeve and put it, down on the on the record player and put the needle on the record like you're gonna listen to that whole side you might flip it later too and now it you know it's like oh what's your playlist or shuffling you know it's very different no it's very different i mean i we spend a lot of time i never bought a fucking record on a cassette because you could go buy a 90 minute cassette at the drugstore buy the album and then all it took was 90 minutes right. to record mm -hmm. the cassette record your album on a cassette and then you had it in both formats uh so i never understood people that bought cassette versions of albums because it just seemed like you're blowing it but then there was that whole campaign of like tape decks are ruining the music business or whatever do you remember that there was like home recording is is <laughs> is killing artists <laughs> right and it was uh this whole premise that that exact impulse buy a record and then go tape it right onto a cassette player you know put the needle down and then push record yes i'm getting this record on tape now now i can uh, take was, it to my car yeah take it to your car and that was going to kill the music industry right uh, meanwhile the music industry was you know growing by 50 percent every year mm -hmm. um but sure i remember the first time i had a car with a tape deck yeah. instead of an eight track well deck. you couldn't buy a car like that you had that had to be a yeah, yeah it was installed third party installed in that purchase of and the in day the, <laughs> in the 80s of course everybody was a amateur tape deck installer. oh yeah my friend jim mcneil who had a uh, he had a mighty max pickup which was not as impressive as it sounds what is that a mighty max i think was a sounds um, awesome it was, uh, was it a Nissan or was it a Datsun? Uh, it was, you know, at, at a certain point, Datsun turned into Nissan. No, yeah. it was a Mitsubishi. And it was early, early on when Mitsubishis began to be exported to the United States. I'm looking at a picture States. of this thing. Uh, well, so this is like, this would be 80, early, early 80s. Um and the, so yeah, it was a first generation, 78 to 86. And, and Jim McNeil's Mighty Max was probably an 82. And it was not 
you think Mighty Max, you think like, well, it's a huge truck. No, no, it was a tiny little truck. But Jim, because the era was all about customizing your car, that was, I think, I think when you're in high school, it's all about customizing your car. Oh, no matter yeah, what the era. of course. But that was the sort of the aftermarket, the dawn of the real aftermarket era where, where people were, I was thinking about this the other day, when those first German cars the Volkswagen GTI arrived on the scene and the trim was black instead of chrome. No one, no one knows, no one can even imagine a time back in the old days when there was no black trim on a car. It was all chrome. Every car, everything, every car was all chrome. And then that GTI came out and they had just painted the chrome. I think it really actually probably was chrome that they then painted black and it, and it started a revolution in people's minds and everybody was painting their chrome black and it was called Euro treatment. Yes. You had a That's Euro right. car, right? Yeah, I remember that now. I have not thought about this in forever. Yeah, I and people love would say that. like you Euroed your car. Right. By painting the trim black and it looked like so dynamic and dark and scary and it was just a fucking rabbit. <laughs> but you had Euroed it. Yeah. I remember seeing a <laughs> Volvo DL. Like just a normal Volvo DL. Probably had gold paint or something. And they had blacked out the trim and put some kind of BBS rims on it or something. And it was just like, oh my God, look at that cool car. And you get around and it's like a DL. It's like, oh, it's, this car can go zero to 60 in 11 minutes. <laughs> but it's so cool looking. And anyway, so that, that era of customizing where it was as simple as that. And Jim McNeil put a tape deck in his Mitsubishi and he also installed a sunroof himself. Oh, wow. Because Jim was pretty handy. He put a sunroof in his Mitsubishi, which I'm sure probably compromised the structural integrity of it. <laughs> and it, and it, 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 it was, you couldn't install your own sunroof where it slid back. This was just sort of, it popped up uh, to let air in, but it let, it, it let sun in. <laughs> right. And then you could actually pop it out completely. So there was just then a hole in your roof, which Jim would do because he wasn't afraid of a little action. But he had customized this pickup, which, you know, which had like a two liter engine. It was not a hot truck, but he hotted it up and it was lightweight truck. And we cruised around Anchorage all the time in that thing. And I wasn't ashamed. No. You know, if it had tangled with a, with a Ford Bronco, it would have just been crushed. Right. But, but it was a hot little, I guess it was a mini truck, right? That was a thing. Mini truck. Yeah. But but yeah, we put a we put a lot of effort into into customizing our cars, and a tape deck was a big part of that. But you know, that whole business of like MP3 sound bad. Mm-hmm. Most of the music I listened to as a kid was played through an AM radio. Yeah, through a one inch diameter speaker, which was mounted underneath a plastic dashboard. <laughs> so even though it was a completely analog process, analog as can be. It was. It still was like A B C. That's easy. One two three. As simple as do re mi. And it's just like that sounds awful. Yeah. But, and so MP3s. Yeah, I don't think they sound good. I think they sound awful. But they sound better than the the dashboard speaker of a Ford Ranchero. 
Um, so, it, you know, you, music is, is a thing where you just, we, we're so starved for it that it's like, I'll take it however it comes, right? People want, people just want it and they want it however it comes. But that, but that takes them so out of, of the, the connoisseur relationship. And I guess that's, you know, again, that's like a specialized, that's a specialized relationship to things. I don't expect everybody to be a connoisseur. I'm sure there are people that are listening to this podcast right now, just hoping that we're going to, uh, we're going to come up with some computer hacks for them. They're, they still don't get <laughs> the program. And they're like, are those guys <laughs> ever going to start talking about Macintoshes or what? <laughs> right. What is this? What is this program? I've listened to nine episodes of it now and <laughs> there's no hacks. Right. I've got it on two times speed. They never talk about computers. Our, uh, our sponsor, in fact, our exclusive sponsor for this episode is Hover. Hover.com, when you have a great idea, you want to get a good domain name for it. Now, you want to get a great domain name for it. You want to find the perfect name, the one that represents your project, your product, the thing that you are working so hard at making, and you want something that's catchy, you want something memorable, and you want something that's easy to type and feels good to type, right? Even when you say it out loud. Hover makes it easy to find the domain name because, look, let's face it, most of them are taken, right? Well, actually, that's not true. There's a whole lot of domain names and tons and tons of great TLDs, these extensions that you can get, not just .com and .net, not just like the .uk ones, but you can get the really cool ones, .design, .fm, .tv, you name it. They're all out there. There's even a .pizza. But you can get them all at Hover. They have a free valet transfer service so you can skip the hassle of moving your domain names over from other registrars if you find that you like Hover best. They have no wait, no hold, no transfer phone service if you need help. And they've got a new feature called Hover Connect. So like the great thing about Hover, you have the freedom to choose what hosting service you want, where you set up your website and how you host it, whether you want to make an online store with Shopify or like a beautiful website with Squarespace, anything that you have in mind, all you do is click one button and they set it up for you. You don't have to like copy and paste DNS records and all that nonsense, read articles and it's just done. They just do it. It's amazing. And... You can get 10% off your first purchase by going to hover.com and the code to use one word, all the great shows, all the great shows. So use that at checkout hover.com, all the great shows to save 10% off your first purchase. Thanks very much to hover for making this show possible. Do, do you, uh, do you want to, do you want to address some v viewer mail? It seems like you yeah. were implying that we had, we had a backlog. Well, I mean, if I, if I were to omit all of the, uh, the criticisms about the way that the the show ends, <laughs> then it cuts through a lot of okay, good, a lot of feedback. Good. Uh, do you, are you a practitioner of uh, inbox zero? Uh you know what I had to do, and this is an interesting topic in and of itself because I'm very curious as to how you handle it, but. I got to a point where I was managing pretty effectively managing the email that was coming in on a daily basis, but I was not doing a very good job at the email that had sort of 
I had gotten into a backlog as things got really, really busy for a while. And I had a tremendous amount of email that so much time had gone by. I knew I would never realistically, I knew I would never get to it. You know, like I knew that I would never have, I would try and I would get through like 10 emails and then I would get back to doing something else. And, and it just, I had, I had months and months of email and I just finally one day just archived all of it and started fresh with the current month. Right. And so now I'm, I wouldn't quite say it's inbox zero, but it's inbox a few and it feels it feels really, really great to be in that situation. That's nice. What about you? I mean, how are you? How are you doing? Especially after the, I imagine the campaign. It was probably insane. Eh, yeah, but ugh, it's always insane. But the problem is, I am bad at it. And I mean, how long have I known Merlin? Fifteen years. Yeah. And right now, looking here at my computer, I have twenty five thousand and four unread emails right um and i just you've got to do what i did i was that's where i was too you gotta you just gotta get honest with yourself about what you can do yeah you know like uh, if you were to go back three months to, to an email that someone sent you three months ago are you really going is is what's in that email i mean i i think you might get different emails than i get because i think there are people in there who are probably telling you important and personal things and telling stories and they want, you know, they want you to hear them. But like, if there was anything time sensitive in that email, you're not, you're that's done now. Yeah. And time sensitivity was never a, was never a criteria for me and like whether or not I'm interested in a thing, but like, uh, yeah, there's, I mean, there's just a ton. Every once in a while I go in and like do the search function and, decide that every single email I've ever gotten from the Grammy Awards, I'm just going to delete them all. <laughs> For some reason, San Francisco State University decided that I was an alumni, uh, an alumnus, and San Francisco State University sends me stuff, and no matter how many times I unsubscribe... Oh yeah, you'll never get off of that. I'm never off of it. Uh, at one point, I flew to Chile on a... Uh, on a South American airline called Lon. Oh, nice. And uh, Lon continues to send me updates, emails saying, Hey, you ready to go back to Chile? I'm like, I absolutely am, but I, I can't book that flight today. And why are you sending me mail still? That was, that was a long time ago. But, and so I would love to get rid of all that garbage. But, um, you know, there are emails on there from uh, emails in my 25,000 unread emails that are from people that aren't alive anymore. I don't, uh, don't want to just, I don't want to uh, delete those. No. I so are delete- they not even read? Is that the thing that you haven't even like read them? It's not like you've read them and not responded, which was my problem as I'd look at them and then not, not get back. Well, you're you know, saying that saw- there's like full on un- really, truly unread email in there. I've got, I've got. I have, tra- as we all have, transferred from computer to computer to computer. And at some point, um, the, the, my, the desktop that I'm running is pre-cloud. It's not on the mm. cloud. Right. And so the emails <laughs> that are in there have never been connected to, they don't know that I'm reading emails on my phone. 
the emails that show up in my inbox here are not aware that I'm also reading emails elsewhere. And so they just stack up here. And when I show up at my office, I'm like, oh, there we are. 25,000 emails. Like here's one from the Tribeca Dental Center. One time I was in New York and I needed a dentist and I went to the dentist at the Tribeca Dental Center. That was five years ago. And they're sending me an email saying, it's been a while since we've seen you. Right. And it's like, yeah, I've been to the dentist since then. I don't live in New York. BMI sending me stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so suffice to say that to go through and clean out, because I would like to have, I would like to have all the emails archived, not just archived, but like archived in a way where I can go through and read them all as a novel. Um, all the emails where I was arguing with somebody back and forth, I'd like to read those as... Like have it illustrated. As, yeah, right. I mean, there's some great threads. Here, you know, there's, I'm, I, I've gone all the way back to, I guess, when I first got this computer, which was 2004. And uh, the first email in it is from Merlin Mann, which is, which is uh, appropriate. Very. And it's and it's a stream, a thread of photographs that Merlin took at a at an early long winter show. Uh, I'm wearing a Fiverr T-shirt, oh man, and playing a Rickenbacker, and Eric Corson is playing his Rickenbacker bass. This is early on in the band, and and Merlin, uh, you know, Merlin took him with his with what I'm sure then was state of the art little camera right that he was selling on his on his uh, 43 folders website <laughs> right and uh yeah and then the next email is an mp3 of the song christmas with you is the best which is what we that was a our first christmas tune um yeah yeah i mean there's yeah. probably tons of stuff like that in your email Oh, very interesting stuff. Oh, here's yeah, photo just just early photo shoots of the band. I mean, this is all the way back 2004. Well, you're gonna, but that's not unread, is it? Are you just reading that no. for the first time since 2004? No, but if I deleted it, I would never be able to read. True. Um, well, you've got to archive it. Don't delete it. Archive it. Well, so what do you? How does that work? Well, if you're now see now we are the productivity uh, show. Well, if you're using something like Gmail which I, I wouldn't, wouldn't assume that you were, but if you are, then there are ways that you can, rather than delete something, you can simply mark it as, as archived so that it's no longer in your inbox when you go to look at what, what we think of as our email, the new email that's coming in. It's not going to be in there. It's going to be archived, and you can go back and find it and see it, and it will still be there anytime that you would like to, and you can even search if you have something like Gmail, you can search really, really well and type in a word or a phrase and it will find, it's very good about searching and finding. I'm not advising, for the record, I'm not advising you to do this. It was a very drastic measure on my part to just finally move, move forward with my life because I, I was just so, I was so far behind. But see, I had read all of the stuff and I don't really have any like cool emails of me in a band from like 12, 10 years ago. So I don't know. I, I think you're just 
you're going to have to like carry that around forever. Yeah, I'll just, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll figure it out. And eventually probably what will happen is that the thing will, will die and then it'll all be gone. And I'll go, oh, well. You need someone to go in and, and do it for you. You need someone <laughs> uh, to like handle it all for you. I need someone to handle so much for me. Yeah. Dan Benjamin, I really do need a assistant still after two and a half years of searching for an assistant. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's clear somebody like you needs one. Now, we were going to... We have some some feedback. Feedback. Feedback mail. So here is one from Milan. The person's name is Milan. Oh, I see. It's not from Milan, Italy. It may also be from Milan, Italy. Uh, and Milan says, uh, I just want to clarify something you mentioned in episode nine. It is about was that, what was, was that the most recent episode? Or no, that... the most recent would have been 11. Okay. All right. So a little bit back, yeah. a little back Milan's. And I don't know if Milan is a, a man or a woman, right? It is about what was actually on the flag, which some Albanian soccer fan, it is believed that the drone was controlled by the brother of Albanian prime minister sitting on a VIP seat flew over stadium in Belgrade during Euro 2016 qualifier match between Serbia and Albania. Mm-hmm. And he's asking me what was on the flag or he's telling us what was on the flag. He is, he is going to talk about what was on the flag. So he okay. has a link of what was on the flag and the explanation of these images and who the people in the photo are. He says the guy on the left is, is smell Kimali and the guy on the right is, is, uh, Bolatini, but the biggest sure. problem in the thing that provoked incident was the image of greater Albania shown in the middle. This image was widely used during World War II on Kosovo, where Albanian fascists backed by Italy and Mussolini killed and expelled hundreds of thousands of Serbs and non-Albanians. So the Serbian player who pulled the flag and drone was actually trying to calm the situation. Unfortunately, Albania, Albanian players first attacked him, then Serbian players attacked them, and finally fans broke into the field and attacked Albanian players. So this is not some flag that Albanians consider as their national one. It is the one representing Albania that consists of half of Montenegro, half of Macedonia, parts of Serbia, including Kosovo, and a huge piece of Greece. I don't think that this flag would be taken peacefully in any of those countries, as well as that I don't believe the SS flag or flag with swastika on a drone in a stadium in Tel Aviv during Israel-Germany soccer match would be taken as a good joke. That's uh, that regards Milan out. It seems to me that Milan has a, is vested in this. Yes. Uh, he sounds like he is a Balkan resident or someone who's very familiar with Balkan politics. Milan, you have to understand that I was not suggesting that it was a good joke, only uh, reporting on it from the standpoint of an American who has no real uh-huh. vested uh, stake in, in, uh, in the Balkan milieu yes but i did understand that it was an inflammatory thing for the uh for the person to do obviously it's not it didn't spark a riot in the stadium because it was a flag with a picture of mickey mouse (laughs) yes there might have been a different a whole different reaction yeah but uh but yeah we don't you know in america one of the things that we are uh one of the problems that we face is even those of us who really, really try to stay on top of world politics and all of its, uh, you know, all of its ins and outs, uh, the Balkans in particular are very difficult to understand. Even if you have a sense of 
the tension between the Muslims and the Orthodox and the Catholics and the history, not just of World War II, but of the Ottomans and the, and the Austrians. And I mean, everybody is that whole business of the fact that there, um, there even is a country called Macedonia really antagonizes the Greeks, but the Macedonian people of the country Macedonia, you know, say that they have a historical right to the name. The Greeks say they don't. Montenegro, Serbs don't want or didn't want Montenegro to be its own place, but then they made a they made an accommodation with each other. Everybody's always fighting the Albanians. Right. And then of course, let's just not even get into all the problems in the former Yugoslavia. It's all very and, complicated. It's very, and, very complicated. As an American, I understand it better than most, and I still don't really understand it. Yeah. And that's even speaking as someone who walked across Romania and Bulgaria mm-hmm. during the Kosovo War. So I got, a, I got a lot of firsthand, I got a lot of talkings too, where I was seated somewhere and somebody was wagging their finger at me and explaining to me exactly why so and so and so forth. And uh, it's still a lot to process. And there's a lot, there's a lot of antagonism, a lot of intentional antagonism going on down there. You know, we have terrible, terrible uh, sports rivalries here in the States, but never, uh, but it's, it, but it, it never has those nationalistic consequences, right? Yeah. It's not like we're fighting, like our soccer teams are proxies for armies. Right. And, and I think that's wonderful when sport plays the role of, you know, uh, where, where the combat can happen there. That's, that's the whole principle behind neighborhood stick fights. Yeah. Let the combat happen in a stadium. But then, you know. Right. And somebody- you, would, you would probably never see members of, of these teams that we're talking about here become members of the opposite team that they were at war against in that, in that, in that riot or in having a fight with. But in the NFL, that happens all the time. Right, they switch around. They switch right. around. Coaches do too. Like that's, I mean, in soccer, yeah, you get people, you get ringers from Italy and Spain that go play for Manchester United, right? But on a thing like, you know, where you're talking about Serbia versus Albania, I mean, that's yeah, that's some tough. Yeah, even even the players are maybe proxies for locals. They could be from Italy, but they're they're really fighting for some, you know, some first principles. Or national honor in a way that that we you know we're divorced from somewhat here and don't don't fully understand and don't understand the historical consequences and like he's saying you know greater Albania mm-hmm. like I have a tremendous interest in that region and the number of conversations I've had about greater Albania it's not not that many conversations even with people from down there. So I don't understand all of the symbolism, certainly. But yeah, I wasn't remark. I di- I didn't for a second think that it was. I didn't. I did, for for what it's worth, I didn't pick up on the fa- on you thinking that either. But I think well, he was that, just he was just uh, you know just providing background info. I think too. Yeah, and this is the thing. Like uh, things things matter to people, and we're we are at such a distance broadcasting from the United States that it's. It's not clear. I mean, there's so many ways that you can cause offense. And just within 
just within the, the small culture that we occupy, let alone world culture. And when you make a program and it broadcasts, I mean, there's a guy that sends me an email every time I make the mistake of saying the Ukraine rather than saying Ukraine. Because... Like Shavas. Like Shavas, that's yeah. right. Uh, because Ukraine is a country, just like Poland is a country. Uh-huh. But traditionally the Ukraine was the term of art we used because the Ukraine is a region, right? It's like the, the steps. Yeah. And the whole time that I was growing up, you, Ukraine was part of the USSR. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it was one of these things like you're never supposed to say the CIA. You're just supposed to say CIA. I didn't know that. Or rather... People who are members of the CIA orbit refer to it as CIA. It's like, are like, you CIA? No, I'm FBI. Yeah, yeah I like work. That. I work for CIA. Okay, not I work for the CIA. And that's one way that you can you can demonstrate that you are inside. You're inside. And so, I still because I grew up thinking the Ukraine. I just still absentmindedly say it. I know that it's wrong, but it's so important to people from Ukraine that they be recognized as a country and not a region because the implication of the Ukraine is that it's just a part of Russia still, or it's an area that is whose ownership is in dispute. And maybe this country has hegemony over the Ukraine and then this country does. And so I get these, I get an email from this guy where it's, sternly correcting me and it's a thing that you know i that i struggle to not struggle but i like try to remember to not say but it slips out because it's like i mean there are people who still say czechoslovakia because they don't remember (laughs) or they don't know right um or even yugoslavia so yeah, it's a it is it's a struggle to stay on top of everything, particularly when you're broadcasting in a way that people around the world are listening. I got a very nice fan letter from uh, Skopje in Macedonia, not very long ago. A very a wonderful conversation I had with the person, and I and I realized I needed to know more just to just to picture them in their town listening to me on the internet and having things to report. Like I, I just had to go look at some pictures of Skopje, which where I've never been just to get a sense of like, where what's it like there and what are they are? I'm getting a message from there and I need to know. I want to know and I need to know more, but you know, I'm also, I got to look at porn on the internet too. Like everybody else, (laughs) my day fills up. Yes. Your commitments. Anyway, Milan, thank you for your thank you for your letter and thank you for for explicating better the situation. Thank you, Milan. Brian writes, "Hey Dan and John, I'm just writing to thank you for the latest episode, 10, the parts you don't need. Your discussion of your experiences with meditation and the effects were very interesting to me. Dan, as someone who has recently been diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder, your account of your experiences gives me hope for being able to live a good and meaningful life with my condition." I know that no two lives are alike, but the fact that you've been able to get to where you are today gives me a lofty goal 
to work towards. Keep up the good work. You two are definitely helping people like me. Sincerely, Brian. Brian did not uh, list his location as he was instructed. Therefore, we will not respond to his email. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Brian. (laughs) Sounds like he's living in anxiety. Yeah, seriously. No, Brian, uh, I appreciate, I appreciate the email and you know, like I hear this a lot as I've talked about this kind of thing, whether it's been like here with you or with, with Merlin on back to work or anywhere that I've kind of talked about that. And it's interesting to me because you get this diagnosis from like a therapist or a psychiatrist or somebody who, you know, knows what they're talking about. And they tell you this thing and this term generalized anxiety disorder. Like I remember when my therapist like said like, yeah, you've got this thing and it has a name. It's not just Dan feels stressed, you know, or like Dan doesn't understand, uh, you know, why he's not sleeping so good or whatever. It was like, yeah, you, you, you have you have this thing and you know so frequently the prescription for it is like zoloft or it used to be you know like yeah go on go on zoloft and i'm not saying that you shouldn't be on zoloft or that you shouldn't take zoloft or that you should stop taking zoloft if you're on zoloft you know what i'm saying like i'm not saying that i'm just saying like like that was just the immediate well you have this thing so you should you should do this and i said well i don't I don't really like want to take something that could like ch- change my personality in some way. And she's like, yeah, that's what everyone who has generalized anxiety disorder worries about when we tell them they should, try, should try Zola. <laughs> I'm like, so the, the whole fact that I don't want to like take this medication is further proof that I need it. <laughs> that's a symptom of your disease. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so, you know, she's like, well, She's like, obviously, you don't have to take it. She's like, but for a lot of people, it helps them kind of get things under control so that they can start like modifying their behaviors and they're working on their thinking and getting getting things straightened out. And the way she said it was not in, I wouldn't use the term bleak, really, but the way that she said it was in such a way like, you're not going to make much progress unless you do this. Ooh. But it wasn't. I mean, maybe I was reading into it at the time, but it was, it was the same thing that like, I, I hate if I'm repeating myself, but there was the time that I, that they gave me, uh, uh, what's the little purple pill? What is that thing? You know, you take it for your, for uh heartburn, like when you have heartburn. Is it the Matrix one where all of a sudden you see, <laughs> you see that you've been living a lie this whole time? And, no, uh, Nexium. Prilosec, Prilosec OTC, or Nexium, or all of those. The, you, you have entered into a realm of pharmacology where you've left me behind. I okay. know I, I've well, never taken Prilosec. This is a first uh, for me. But basically, like Prilosec, this is one of these things, like if you get like heartburn, and I'm not talking about heartburn like, oh, I eat too many burgers, but heartburn like persistent ongoing heartburn that lasts for weeks at a time that they then, they have a name for that. Which is GERD, gastro, GERD, gastroesophageal reflux disease. G-E-R-D, GERD. GERD, uh, where they diagnose you with that. And I, I could have sworn I told this story. I'll tell it again. So I mean, Maybe you told it to Merlin. Maybe. It's, it, it's, uh, it's a sad story, but it has a happy ending. So I was having like 
heartburn and it GERD. GERD and it wasn't going away. And well, GERD doesn't just go away. <laughs> yeah, GERD. You know GERD. Yeah, when you get GERD, yeah. it's not just going to disappear. Right, GERD doesn't just go away. So I had been taking like Tums for it and it was doing nothing. And finally I went to the doctor and the doctor's like, yeah, uh, it's called GERD. And he wrote down, you know, like they hand you the papers and send you to the cashier. And I looked at it and like under diagnosis, it just said GERD. Uh-huh. I'm like, <laughs> okay. So I went and uh, got, you know, took this prescription that he gave me. And it, within hours of taking it, I was 100%. I was all better. I was like, You're oh kidding. my God. Yeah, I was like, fine. But the problem was, like, you have to take this all the time. Like, you, you, don't, you, don't, you don't skip your GERD medicine. Oh, then you get you addicted know. to GERD. Right. So you, uh, so, uh, but of course, I didn't want to be taking like Prilosec forever. And I knew people that had been on Prilosec for years. And I would talk to them and be like, why are you still taking this? And he's like, well, I've got GERD. Yeah, he's like, I've got GERD. Like that, I have that now. Like that's a thing that I have, and there's nothing. I'm like, what can you do about it? I'm like, can you change your diet? He's like, sure, it won't help. Yeah, I'm like, no, it's another eel they got on you. Right, that's right. Yeah. So I went into an, to another doctor, and I told him about the problem, and he's like, okay, we're gonna do an upper endoscopy on you, and we're gonna it's look around, really see if it's really GERD. We're gonna just see what's going on in there. And then I heard like one of my neighbors. Is telling me like horror stories of her like older uncle who had GERD and like couldn't couldn't lay down because it had progressed so badly that it would uh, it had e- damaged the little muscle that's in your esophagus that controls the f- backflow oh. of bile and oh my god so oh, I'm, those I'm, GERD horror stories are some of the scariest <laughs> really and so I was like freaked out obviously because the general anxiety disorder. Not only causes GERD, but makes you freak out when you're diagnosed with GERD. Right. And so I went and and I like I remember talking to the guy, the doctor about it, and and he after he looked at it, he's like, no, he's like, there's no major damage, there's no problem with this, nothing. It's just we don't know what's causing it. It's he's like, you know, he's like in in my country we have a saying as far as what causes GERD. And said, your doctor's from a different country. He was uh, he was from India. And they have a saying in India. They have about a saying, GERD? and he said that her. And and uh, here's the interesting part: is that it's a saying that rhymes, and it's in English. And I don't see how this was a saying where he came from. Well, you know, they're, they're very English. fluent in English in India. Yeah, but they're not even the words in India. Okay, hurry, curry, and worry—the three things that cause GERD. <laughs> So, oh, and especially if you're like tripling down on hurry, yeah. hurry, and worry. Yeah. So I said, well, I really don't want to be taking Nexium or whatever. Like, I don't want to be taking this for the rest of my life. And he just laughed. And I said, why are you laughing? And he said, because you will be probably taking it forever. I'm like, why? And he says, people who have GERD, it just they just have it. It doesn't go away. I said, yeah, well, it's, I'm going to make it go away. And he's like, okay. <laughs> you know, oh, like like it was just such he a dared you, yeah. So then, then you know, long story short, then I got d- diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder, and surely you've told this story before because you're so good at at, at it. Well, I was diagnosed with yeah. that, and I remember that the therapist. I'm like, okay, how can I like start addressing this in a more proactive way, other than coming and talking to you for an hour a week? or two hours a week or whatever it was. And she's like, well, 
you know, there, there are a lot of things that you can do. And she said this in a way of like, but people just don't do these things when I give them recommendations. You know, it was, it was, she had that kind of attitude. Like it will be so beneficial for you if you would do them. And then in her mind, she's saying, but he's not going to do them just like nobody ever does them. Right. And I said, I said, I will do them. I will do them though. And she says, well, here's a good place to start. And she recommended like a CD that had like what I would call as super entry level, basic pre-meditation breathing techniques, like breathing for relaxation kind of stuff. And so I got this CD and I played it and I'm like, all right, you know what? I can do this. Dr. Weil, I can do this. But is, Do- is Dr. Weil... He made the uh, CD. He oh. did not... He was not a uh, mental th- health therapist. He made the CD about breathing. So I listened to the CD and I tried the things out and uh, you know what? They helped. They helped. And I'm like, okay. Because he gives some background about like how meditation and yoga and other things like how important breathing is. And, and I'm like, okay, this actually helped me a little bit. And if this is sort of scratching the surface of breathing and meditation, maybe if this helped me a little, then full on like real Buddhist meditation. And I I didn't jump into the Buddhist part right away, but I jumped into the meditation thing right away. I said, maybe this could have even more of an effect on me. And it did. Uh, And it had a dramatic completely life transformation kind of effect on me over the next few years. So I don't think that that's required for necessarily everyone. Brian, maybe, you know, maybe there's other things for you. And I don't like, I wouldn't, if somebody said, well, I took, I'm taking so often, it really helped. Like, great. Like, I'm not saying don't, don't do whatever it is you and your, uh, your advisors think is right for you. I'm just saying like, this is what I wound up doing and it worked really, really well for me. And, I just don't want anyone who listens to this to think that whatever their problem is or affliction or whatever term you want to use, like you would be absolutely shocked and surprised what we as human beings are capable of doing physically and mentally and, and otherwise, uh, as you know, if we, if we set our minds to it. So I really appreciate Brian writing in and, uh, and you know, hopefully like this is a, a helpful thing get on top of it brian yeah do you want to do one more yeah 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 all right let me find okay go <laughs> i want to make sure i don't uh re read one i've already done um okay yeah you want to do another mental health one well i mean just in the order received i, uh, I don't want i don't want people to write us in write us letters and then we don't uh, we don't talk to them about stuff but there's a lot of there's a lot of email yeah, well, a lot of email. Let's tighten it up. All right, here's one. Here's one's kind of fun. Yay! Yeah, something fun from David. David says, "Hi, I am a teenager from New Zealand." What? And you I don't have teenagers in New Zealand. And I love your show, Roadwork. I want to ask you and John, what are the three things you would have liked to learn before leaving finishing or finishing school? What are the three things you would have liked to learn mm-hmm. before leaving or finishing school? That's the whole email. Thanks. That is fun. Do you want to? Uh, do you want to? Do you want to jump in? Or I want to wade in. I like the three things we would like to learn. 
Yeah, I mean, I have, I have mine. Do you want to go first? I'll, I, I can jump in. No, you, you go, you go first. Uh, but you know, we're, we're trying to, we're trying to like. He wants three things. He it's wants like, three things. Pow, pow, pow. Yeah. Well, the first thing, I, and when I, when he says school, he has to be talking about high school, right? High school, high school. He's a teenager. Yeah. Well, the first thing I would say is that so little of what happens in high school is really as big of a deal as it seems like. I wish there was a way that I could go. But if I could go back now as an incredibly wise, much older person back to high school, I would say, Dan, this stuff that's going on and stressing you out, like this is nothing. I wish I'd learned that. Is this the kind of thing he wants, John? I think so. The second thing I would say is uh, don't stress out and work so hard in college. You know, getting B's and C's is just fine. Mm-hmm. Unless you're trying to keep a scholarship or something. Because no employer is ever going to look at your GPA unless you're working for that kind of place. And the third thing is I would say focus more on... Uh, on finding that thing that you truly love and are interested in, as opposed to the thing that you think will lead to uh, an effective career of some kind, follow the thing that you find that you're truly interested in, uh, and and you know let that let that be the thing that you focus on because that's what's going to lead you to a happier life and being you know being a better person, personal development. That's mine. <laughs> Is that an answer to this count? I think those do count. Right, what are yours? I mean, mine aren't that far away. I would, I, I agree that that the, uh, <clears throat> I think in my case, the the world that adults, uh, the 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 world as portrayed by adults to teenagers is not the actual world. The adults that are in charge of shepherding teenagers into the world. Um, you know, sort of bring a, a version of the world to you in school, kind of on a tray. And they're like, here's the world, and here are the ways that you can join the world. And if you if you choose this, then you'll go this way. And if you choose that, then you'll go that way. Right. And don't choose wrong. And if you choose this, then you will absolutely go that way and you can't change your mind. Right. If you, you know, if you do, it will all be for naught. Mm-hmm. And this is a version of the world that isn't real. And the thing that scares adults who are in charge of showing the world to teenagers is that if you show the world as it actually is, which is you can do a lot of different things. None of it really counts against you later. Right, you can, nothing. You can fuck up for years. You can go off and do dangerous things. You can, um, you can rumspringa for five years and come back, and it's not like any time was lost. They're afraid to say that because that's going to reflect badly on them. And and if you do go rumspringa, then your parents are going to come yell at them. And there's all this feeling that teenagers can't handle the truth. And the truth is that nobody knows. And the idea that you should pick what you're going to do the rest of your life when you're 15 is, it works for some people, right? I, I have friends that decided they were going to be a doctor when they were 14 and they're a doctor today when right. they're 47. Right. And it worked for them. And I can't, I can't 
argue with that. But I don't think if you are a teenager in New Zealand and you are listening to this program and you are asking for that kind of advice, it sounds like you haven't decided that you're going to be a doctor and you don't have any doubt in your mind anymore, right? And, and a lot of teenagers, myself included, were very suspicious of the world that, uh, that adults were portraying. But we didn't really have independent confirmation, outside confirmation. You know, you open up a magazine and there's some punk rock guy who's like, yeah, you don't have to listen to your parents. Do what you want. And it's like, well, that's not very convincing <laughs> right? It's either. not constructive. For yeah, that, doesn't sound, that doesn't sound cool. <laughs> no. That sounds stupid. And, right. But there aren't a lot of people who, are, who, you know, who will take the pipe out from their teeth and say, listen, young man, do what the fuck you want. Or young woman, like, don't be scared. You can make a life for yourself and you, and it is scary, but it's scary to to decide you're going to be a doctor at 15 too. There's nothing that can put fear completely out of it, but you just don't have to, you don't have to buy the, the clear cut world that is, that people try to sell you. And because I was a straight up fuck up for a decade and everyone agreed that I had squandered my potential and that I was a tragic case. And then it turned out that here I am and I'm at the same fucking Rotary Club meetings as all those people that never, ever, ever did one thing off the path. You know, that's something that I think is if I could add a fourth would be to sort of tell you that, I mean, I remember the popular kids like in high school. How could you not? And I just remember, think about how they like, they had it all together, you know, like there was another Dan and he worked in like, he worked in the auto shop and like had a cool car and like the girls liked him and they called him cool Dan, cool Dan. Right. To separate him from nerd damage. Yeah, no one would want to ever, no one would have been able to confuse us anyway, but yeah. And I remember, like, I went to college, and I was in college, and, you know, I was working hard, and we had worked hard to get there, and I ordered a pizza one night while I was, like, studying for finals. And look, uh, look, who delivers it, Dan delivers it. And oh, wow. I hadn't seen, you know, hey, I moved, moved to a different city and I was, you know, and, and I, I remember I was like, Hey man, like what's going on with you? He's like, Oh wow. How are you doing? I said, I'm pretty good. What are you doing? He's like, I oh, just delivering pizzas. I'm like, are you in school or anything? And he's like, no, no, I'm not going to not going to school. And you know, I just, just started this job. I got fired from my last one. And I was like, all right, man. You know, Dan, and Dan peaked in high school is what the, is that? Story? Yeah. Right. And I said, I said, you still got that car? He's like, yeah, still driving, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and, and it like, it didn't make me feel good. Like I can imagine like the, the closing shot in that scene in, in the TV show would be like me just kind of like, yeah, I got it made. I didn't, it made me feel like confused and bad because like, this was a guy who was like, he was like the cool person and it seemed like, like the cool people win. You know what I mean? Like the cool people in the movies, the cool people are until we had like the revenge of the nerds thing where then the nerds got to win, but they won by be by being cool in their own way. And anyway, that's a different show. It's a very problematic. Yeah. Movie, by the way. Yeah. A lot of problems with that. But 
like here was this guy who by all means by any measure rather you would say that this was the guy who was going to come out ahead this was the guy who was going to win you know he he was clearly had it going and i don't know what you know what what led him down the path that he eventually wound up on but the what i want to say about that is just simply like you have no idea where the people around you who may seem more or less popular than you or smarter or not. It's not like none of that matters. None of that matters. Nothing that happens there in high school in that way matters at all. Nothing. Did you like high school? I did. I loved high school, but I, you know, as you know, I graduated last in my class. Yeah. So you loved it too much. Well, by, by adult reckoning, I was a a complete failure in high school. High school failed me and I failed it, but I liked going to school. Um, and if they had just left me the fuck alone to read, I would be, I would have gotten twice the education (laughs) I, I got. Yeah. But you know, what was great about high school was all the time in the halls between classes and all the weird, you know, like the weird stuff in high school. I mean, I, I remember walking into the principal's office and I said, listen, every morning somebody reads the morning announcements over the intercom and that person is boring and I should start doing that job. And they were like, what? And I was like, yeah, you should have a student do it and it should be me and I'll read the morning announcements. And they were like, uh, and I said, no, no, uh, <laughs> and they were like, okay. And so I started reading the morning announcements and it was great. And I was right. It was way better. Um, so I loved that shit, but then somehow, you know, the fact that I just got F's and everything didn't, that, that was the thing that everybody cared about. A bunch of dummies. Right. But anyway, I've only said one of my three things. Okay. Next. The second thing would be to figure out what your level of conditioning is, like your physical conditioning. And, you know, and this isn't a thing. I mean, I recognize there are a lot of different body types and a lot of different uh, conditions that you can choose to be yours, but find a level of conditioning and maintain it because when you get to be older, it's much harder to start conditioning yourself, which is to say just getting, you know, human beings want a certain amount of exercise. They want to, their bodies want to be put to use somehow. And, if, if you can establish that when you're young, where it's like, I just get a certain amount of exercise and some people want a ton of exercise and some people just need a, 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 a maintenance amount of exercise. But when I look back to high school, I just wish, because you know, I, I, I lifted weights, I did sports, but I considered it all to be kind of like a, a, gr- a drudgery or an obligation. Like, oh, I've got to go do sports. Ugh. And now I look back and it's like, if someone had just explained to me, it's a, it's a mental trick. If you just decide that this is part of your life and you don't have to dread it, it's good. It's not hard. You just go, you lift, you, you lift some dumbbells or you walk on a treadmill or you sit on an exercise bike, but whatever it is, it keeps you, it keeps your blood pumping and your heart going. Right. And that is very useful to you throughout your life 
but it's especially hard at 50 years old to say like, well, I guess I'd better figure out how to exercise now oh, because yeah. I have high blood pressure and, you know, and, and your shit is starting to fall apart. So establishing that kind of habit, which in school, it's so connected to competition, right? There are all the other kids that are like, I'm better at this. I'm good at this. And the adults, again, encourage that. They're ranking kids and the good kids get to be on the sports ball team and the bad kids have to sit over on this. You know, they mm-hmm. never get chosen for the for dodgeball or whatever. And that, all that competitiveness is a bummer, but it it's really not connected at all to to exercise which is just a it's a sense of competition you have with within yourself and what you're competing against is is uh inertia you know you're competing against the forces of entropy and not competing against other kids and it doesn't have to be a you know you're you're not trying to be fit for anyone else you're just trying to it's part of a process of getting to know your own body so i wish i could say that to myself would you? I mean, what would it have taken for you to really take that advice? Do you think to really some, take it? Because I was already exercising, and I understood, and I enjoyed it, and I was like, "Oh yeah, that's right." But, but, but if you, I mean, there are certain things in life that you have to muster the intestinal fortitude to make not optional for yourself. And as long as everything is optional then it's very easy to say like, oh yeah, well, but I, don't, I don't want to, so I won't. See, that you have just hit the nail on the head completely with the difference between somebody who's 20 and somebody who's 40 or older as far as the attitude that you have about doing certain things, especially like exercise. It's when you're 20... You exercise because you like it or you want to lose a few pounds or you want to you know, look good in your wife beater or whatever. You know what I mean? Like that's why you do it. You have a specific short-term end goal. But like when you get a bit older, you need to do this. And it's like if you don't do it, there will be problems and they will be real problems and they might be life-threatening problems, you know, or life-impeding problems if you don't do it. Like if I wasn't working out – I would be having much worse back problems. Like it's not, it's not like, Oh, I worked really uh, hard in the yard over the weekend. My back's a little sore and uh, I'm 25. So tomorrow will be better. You know, it's, it's a real thing that you have to do and you have to put in. And of course it wouldn't be like this if I'd had some kind of good, like resistance training thing going for the last 10, 15, 20 years. That's amazing advice. I hope New Zealanders listen to this. Yeah, I hope so too. And that's that's just that's just a thing that um, that that's if you so can important. If, if you can establish discipline within yourself at a young age and have it be disconnected from from all that from competitiveness and also from like a a sense that you that with the, all that stuff that adults put on you and just just realize that like a little bit of self-discipline goes a really long way and it and you and it and it it's also called work ethic it's also called um practice or or ritual but like all that stuff you just need to find a relationship to um to that little bit of this i am making this not optional for myself and 
that is still within the realm of optional. I am optioning to make this non-optional. And and having made that decision, then I have to then I have to look at myself. I have to look myself in the mirror. It's not anybody else that's doing it. It's me. So that's the second thing I would say. And then the third thing is totally a cliche. Absolutely a cliche. But in a way, true, which is that you, you really don't regret kissing anybody as much as you regret not kissing. And so in a situation where there is a choice between kissing somebody and not kissing them, kiss them. Because if you kiss them and you don't like it, you go, oh, I realized that I wanted to kiss you, and I did, and now I feel like uh, some something about it is just wrong for me going forward. But thank you for the kisses, and let us part friends. <laughs> but if you are presented with an opportunity to kiss somebody, and you are complicated about it, and you're like, oh, should I? Should I not kiss them? What will happen? What if I this? What? But what if that? Oh, no. If you catastrophize it or you overcomplicate it, then later you go, oh, God, I should have just kissed them. Why didn't I just kiss them? And that's still true in middle age. It's true for people throughout their lives. But it's a habit you can establish early on. And it's not promiscuity I'm advocating, but just that given the opportunity to experience something or to not experience it, go for it every time because you just, you just regret not doing it later. I can't think, I mean, I have kissed some terrible kisses and I have done some terrible, terrible, terrible things, but I don't regret them. Right? Right. Nobody ever says, do you, I mean, like, do I regret breaking my hands? Yeah, kind of. I mean, do I regret breaking my, breaking my body? multiple times yes i do but you know could i take it back i'm not sure would i have if if the choice was to not have broken myself multiple times or to if if it was if the alternative was live a life where you took no risks i would just be i would just regret it and the regret that you feel like, well, I really, I kind of fucked up that time. And the thing is, there are a lot of times where I could have fallen off a thing and been paralyzed. And I think I would have regretted that. Uh, and that's the, that is the catastrophe that cautious people always, they always go to the worst case scenario. Like, well, what if you get paralyzed? You're going to be sorry then. What if you die? But that isn't, I don't think, reason enough to, to live in a bubble. And it starts with kisses. It really does. So, and this applies to shy people even more uh, than non-shy people, which is like, yes, it is hard for you to kiss people because you're shy. But later on, you're only sorry about about those things you didn't do. So do it. (laughs) 